Thank you, Lord. Father, we just thank you for what you're doing. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Thank you, Lord, when all else we stand. We thank you for what you're doing in this church, what you're doing in our lives. We thank you that you are on the move and we are on the move in you. We just yield to your word. We look to your word to wash us. We look to you to challenge us. We look to you convict. We look to you draw where there needs to be change of mind. We honor your name. We honor your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of us here today grew up in the church? Like went to Sunday school, grew up in the church. Glad you're saying that. It's an interesting thing when you grow up in the church. I trust that you learned a lot of good stuff. A lot of good things about the kingdom. But invariably, you would have had seasoned in there a bit of culture. A bit of my dad really was bent on this perspective. My dad was a Calvinist and that's what we saw. Or denominational bents. And in some ways, it, it, it sort of um, grounds the, king, the message of the kingdom. And you think, well, Nick, that's not so bad, you know? American Christians are a certain way, and African Christians, isn't that the flavor of what God wants? You know, when I read Jesus, Jesus came and he preached. And he wasn't trying to make people Israelites. He was a Jew. But he came to speak on behalf of a kingdom of God. Something completely alien. You couldn't look on the globe and say, that's where Jesus came from because he came from up here, the throne room. And when he speaks, it's, it's, it's foreign to the natural man or woman. And then Paul, Paul himself comes and is sent on behalf of Jesus for this kingdom, this kingdom of God. And when he speaks, it's, it's, it's alien in many ways. It, there's portions of it that you can understand, but it misses you in other portions. There's portions of the Bible that confronts you and offends you. Why? Because you're from this earth. You're not from up there. And so when Paul confronts you with a word that is contrary to what you believe on the subject, do we yield or do we just knock it aside? Do we start to form a kingdom theology that is more grounded and terrestrial? Yes, it's more palatable. Yes, it's more understanding. Yes, it's less offensive. But does it have any power? And at what point do we dilute the word of God and the, king, the message of the kingdom to such a place that it's just commonplace, palatable? Because if that's where we get to, why are we here? We need to submit and yield to what the word of God says to us. Not all the time understanding it, but what does the book say? And, and I think this subject that we're on <laughs> is one of those subjects that it is no surprise to me that world is in opposition to it. Or your carnality, that means your flesh part, is in opposition to it. We need to look and see, okay, Lord, speak. Wade through the stuff that I think is in the Bible because I grew up in a culture that said this is a primary pedestal in the kingdom, but it's not even in the Bible. You ever read that? You ever looked at like, I remember for me, like baptism is just a public deck. Where does it say that in the Bible? Show me in the book. I'm not giving my life to a religion. I'm giving my life to the truth. I, I just have no time for the religious nature and all of the structures built around the word of God and Jesus. And how we adopt Jesus. And Jesus could help our little uh, thing and 
our little social justice and let's get Jesus in there and we're going to get him to power us through. It's got nothing to do with what he wants and the kingdom of God and who he is and his sovereignty. And we've been looking at submission in the last couple of weeks and if you're jumping into this sermon, I forgive me, you might seem a little out of context for you. But we're looking at the pattern, God's pattern around marriage. You know, those words like headship and submission and sacrificial love. And that the union of, the physical union of a man and a woman is like a spiritual representation of Christ in his church. There's a mystery to it. But I can't stress enough how important it is to digest this information. You know what to process, digest it. You know, when your body doesn't digest something, it just passes it, and it's of no benefit. And this will be of no benefit to you if it's not digested in faith and humility. Lord, I need truth, man. There are so many lies flying through the airwaves. We need God to speak. Only the truth sets free. We need truth. We need to have open and honest conversations with your husband and wife, with each other, over this topic to dialogue about it. You're not meant to go over in the corner and you figure it out like a boxing match. You figure it out over there and let's meet in the middle. That's how the world sees it. He doesn't see it as team. God, we have to put faith in what God has for us in marriage. We have to trust him that this is God's work done God's way. That this is God's design. I was meditating on... Uh, on, on this and how God comes in, the, in is a part of this union. And you can look at, uh, like Solomon says something really interesting. It's not about marriage, but I thought it was very practical. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is, no, there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if we lie down together, they keep, they keep warm. If two lie down together. And how can one be warm alone? And if one stands, one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three stands is, is, quick, is not quickly torn apart. There's just such a practical aspect to that. There's, there's such a need for us to realize that this is meant to be us, team, together going forward. Not like this, but like this. Now, I mean, everyone here who's been married for a while is going to tell you, marriage is not always easy. Can you get an amen, Lisa? Right? It's an intimate setting. I've been married 26 years. When I first got married, God still had to work on me. And he still has to work on my wife. As he's transforming both of us into the image of Christ, we're walking this out together. So there's some challenges. And sometimes God's going to use your spouse to knock something off of you. It's going to challenge you. And then you add to that the stresses of life and the weariness. And you, these petty annoyances can come up. And you, you sort of start to slip into what's called the flesh. You guys know what the flesh is? Sarks? Flesh? But you don't even know it. You can be right into it. And guess what happens? You know when you slip into the flesh? Number one, it's self. It's me, myself, and I. That's what you start to think about yourself. But you, still don't, you, you, you can get into it. You can walk in it. And you're not even aware until the Holy Spirit goes, what's that smell, dude? It smells like flesh. You know, sometimes after you work out and you're going out and you're like, what is it? That's me. Wow. That's what the flesh is. It stinks. 
Sometimes you can't smell it, though. Everyone else can, believe me. But you can't smell it. And that's why Paul challenges us. We migrate away. Like, the husband stops really loving in a sacrificial way. There's no doubt I love my wife. There's no doubt you love your husband. There's no doubt about that. But there's a sacrificial love we're called to. Not I, but Christ. Not I, but my wife. And Paul is stressing these these little things in our lives that are keys to victory, keys to overcoming. Submission, respect, obedience, honor, all these things. This is how we, we were to live this and be aware of these things when they start to slip. People ask me, Nick, is your wife submitted to you? I'm like, what? Is your... I'm like, I don't know. I never asked her. I'm not saying she isn't, but it's not really my thought. I don't think like that. I'm not told to make my wife submit, by the way. It's her choice to submit. I think more about me. It's like, well, do I leave my home? Because that's what it's called to do, headship. I mean, what does that look like? Do I make all the decisions in the house? No. Do I make all the key decisions in the house? No. I'd be a fool not to have my wife along with the decision making. Do I discipline the children? Remember that in my house? It was the wait till your father come home. I don't think we do that anymore. Do you guys do that anymore? Do you remember that? Wait till your father comes home. No, I'm not the only one that disciplines the kids. So I asked the Lord, like, what is headship in a practical way? What does leadership look like? And I really believe this is a primary function of, 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 the, of the husband's role is actually born out spiritually. There's no doubt there, if you're a more traditional role, a wife at home, husband, so on, that, that there, there are, there's a lot of flexibility of what marriage, successful marriage looks like. There is. But I do believe when it comes to your role in headship, it's born out spiritually. You're like a covering and the umbrella. And your junk that you're dealing with or you're walking in, it puts holes in the umbrella. Husbands, fathers, if you're looking at porn, poof. Covetousness, poof. It lets through things that you don't want to let through. The challenge you have as a husband, as a father, is you've got a responsibility. I didn't ask for it. Well, it is. You entered into marriage, you had children. You have a responsibility, not just for yourself, but for your family. And the stuff that you engage in or don't engage in, prayer, reading the word, affects not just you, but your family. God takes this so seriously. How men, in particular, love their wives, how they lead their homes, that it can actually disqualify you from your gifts and calling in the church. Speaking of elders, or what you guys, some people call pastors, but but elders, the governmental authority in the church. Speaking of them, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping the children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household... How will he take care of the church of God? The Greek manage there is, is, is an interesting word. It's to lead, to protect, to care for. So you may be the most anointed leader. It's like, man, that guy's so gifted. When they speak, and we've seen this actually in the, in, over the last 20 years in the church. Massive churches. But it's interesting what's going on behind closed doors. 
And I actually feel this is a protection for those who want to lead. Get your household in order. If you don't get your household in order, it's only going to scuttle a ship later on. But in order to see whether someone is actually fit, one looks at the home. And because of we need to learn contentment and the teamwork with our wives, husbands and wives working together, it does not always come naturally. Rebellion is in the air we breathe. Me, myself, and I is in every marketing you will ever see. You deserve it. It's amazing. People say to me, Nick, you deserve it. I go, no, I deserve hell. But by the grace of God, I know you're like, that's intense. That's great. I know, but that's just the way I am. I know what I deserve. Why do you think I worship the Lord in truth? Because I know what I've been saved from. But if we continue to strive and wrestle with each other, husbands and wives, we develop a really dysfunctional leadership in the family. Combative. And becomes a real problem. And believe me, things don't get any better when you introduce kids and children. Yeah. See, God has said this about everyone in this room. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Talk about you. But you, man, you, woman, got married. So, invariably, you must work together now towards the good works that were foreordained for us to fulfill. We must pull together. And if we don't, of course, we see the spiritual disunity that can happen. But, but, but God is calling us together. And I would venture to say, any of us here that have some dysfunction, I know there's very few, a lot of our dysfunction will come from the, the disunity between our parents. Whether one was saved and one was not saved, whether they were, one was saved and on fire, one was not saved and on fire, one was etc., etc. But it would become from this, this, this disunity. And that's why the leadership authority structure in the family is so important to bring children into. So we're going to jump into Ephesians 6 here with children. Becoming a key part member. I can't see the back row. Are they awake? Okay. Listen up. <laughs> children. Any children here? Oh, wow, you're front and center. Sorry. You could be children too. Everyone here is a child, by the way. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may turn out well for you, and that you may live long. You may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now again, I, I, I repeat myself, but understand that all structures that are designed and instituted by God reflect his authority. Any kind God has a structure he builds, he institutes authority, delegated authority. And as parents, we must be aware of this authority in the home. We must be aware of it. The attitudes that we conduct or how we live our lives before our children and teach them is exactly how they will now be towards God, authorities. 
And if we don't set a good structure in the home, in our relationship between our wives or our husbands, naturally the children will have a challenge and have issues with God. When's the last time you told your kids to obey? <laughs> Children, obey, listen to your parents. Is that it? only if you agree? And I understand obedience to delegated authority is not unconditional. But it says obey. Honor to fix a value. For the value of something belonged to its oneself. In other words, the position you're honoring. Your father could be a convicted felon. Honor your father. Why? So that you may live well and you may prosper. Interesting. From that scripture, I, I'm, I like math. I'm a logical guy. Obey, honor, goes well. Can we say the counter? I'm not saying this is in the Bible, but I just wonder if the counter... Disobedience and dishonor, things don't go as well. Then when you look at that equation, which one do you want for your kids? What future do you want? Do you want their futures to go well? I'm assuming everyone here loves their kids and desires the best for them in their future. You know, it's amazing what we do as parents to set our children up for success. It's amazing the time and the money we spend Helping them in every possible way to assist them. Staying up late, doing homework. Reading passages and, and reading things to help them. Driving them all over the place. Getting them into sports. Getting them pets like birds. Vacations, fun. And then the RESP, setting them up for their future so they'll be able to go to school without having to pay for it. For those of us who can do that. But what about helping our kids honor and obey? Do we see it in the same way for the future? Do we see, dare I say, rebellion in the same way Scripture does? Hmm. I just want to just take a quick detour here. Just look at this thing on honor. Like in the context of, like the Ten Commandments. Those are the big boys, eh? Now, I'm, I'm, no one here is righteous by fulfilling these. We're righteous by putting the faith in the one that did fulfill them. Okay, I'm not putting the law on you. But I'm pointing something out. This is a picture of righteousness. It just can't make you righteous. What if your kid came home and he had murdered somebody? Yeah, Ma, I stabbed somebody at school. Huh, well, Okay. Teacher calls you up, your son is a perpetual liar. Whoa, right? All right. My son's 14 and he's, he's uh, impregnated a couple girls. It's like, oh, full stop. What is going on in this house? And yet, right in the middle of there, you'll note this honor your father and your mother. There must be more to this than we have revelation on. the need for our children. Even Paul, in the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 6, says this is the first commandment with a promise. 
We know in Exodus 20 this was given, and then it was reiterated in Numbers chapter 5. And, and, but he said, this is, this is so that you will live well. It's extremely important. You're doing this for your children, not for yourself. You bring order and discipline and honor in the home with husbands and wives and with children to their parents. What kind of parentings do we do, I guess, we have to ask? How do we parent? Why do we parent the way we parent? Why do we select certain scriptures and discard others? Good question. I guess that's, that's a good question. Hmm. See, we need to be aware of past stuff affecting why we, pre- why we, why we parent the way we parent. How much of our parenting style is in reaction to the way we were parented? My father was so abusive, and he was. Uh, I'm not disciplining my child that way. I'm sorry. I was, I was confined as a kid, which is all wrong, by the way. I'm not condoning it. But we are not using the word of God as a key marker for how we parent. We're using our past with a mixture. We come out of dysfunction, but that's still, that's, that dysfunction is still very present in your parenting because it still is what is what's guiding it in the darkness, in the, pa- in the back, like this hand reaching out and still affecting you to this day. See, I feel we, one of the parts of the Freedom House is, is all of this, is we need to find healing that God would reach into those areas of wounds from our past. Not just for you and your relationship with God, but you and your relationship with your husband, your kids, your friends, your families. Once we can do that, once God's healing and you start to realize, at least become aware. You know, become aware of the bad breath. Dude, you got an anger problem. No, I don't. (laughs) You know, like, dude, you understand it's wrong. You need to at least, it's like that Alcoholics Anonymous guy. He's like, "Uh, I'm an alcoholic. Okay, own it. Own it. There's something wrong. There's something wrong with the way you're leading your home. There's something wrong with the way you're parenting. Let's look into that. We need to embrace the call of God and the leading of God that God has for us with our children. Training them up in the way that they should go so they would not depart from it. This is what the scriptures say. This is a very familiar scripture. To train up the child that she should go, for even when he grows old, he will not abandon it. Think of the responsibility you have as a parent. And I know rebellion is cute at two and the little tantrums, but it ain't cute at 14. It ain't cute at 21. The way your child speaks to you, they should not speak to you that way. You are not helping them. You're not helping them. Children need discipline. Now, I'm not going to get to you can spank, you do whatever. Figure it out. They got to respect you. If they have no respect for you, there's a problem. It's rebellion. It is as a sin of witchcraft. None of us would take our kid to a fortune teller. None of us would go to various weird spiritual events, and yet rebellion is right in the middle. And it's a, it's, it's, it's a primary job of parenting, of parents, to help the child. 
discipline. For the moment, all discipline seems not to be pleasant. Amen. But painful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You discipline by faith. All of us know that without discipline, we will not accomplish much of anything of any significance in this world, both physically or spiritually. Maybe you do not even like the discipline of the Lord because the Lord disciplines us. It's actually Hebrews 12. The Lord, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. But you're like, I don't want to take that discipline. And maybe that's why you keep going around the mountain because you refuse the discipline of the Lord. We must see discipline as a wonderful thing, a corrective thing. Do we need wisdom? Oh, yeah. But what don't we need wisdom in? How about leading the home? How about submission? How about all these things? All of these things are done from the power of the Holy Spirit. These things are impossible in the flesh. I like this proverb because it seems like it shouldn't be in there. One who loves discipline loves knowledge, but the one who hates rebuke is stupid. I know if I said that before my mother, who was brought up in the British schools, of, and so don't say that, son. And I wish I'd remember, known that scripture because it's an interesting one. The one who, loves, one who loves discipline loves knowledge, but the one who hates a rebuke is stupid. Hmm. Pretty straightforward stuff. I get it, man. It's so easy for me to write this, and there's so many different scenarios. You're like, what about this? What about this? We take the truth of God and we take the Holy Spirit and we walk out. Your situation is different from mine. But understand, authority is authority. If your child does not respect you, there's problems for that kid and for the future. I'm just saying, it's the truth. But Paul cautions, interestingly enough, in this, fathers, to be careful not to provoke their children to wrath, to anger. Sorry, it's, I, I'm always got the one in the... The old school way of saying it. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Don't provoke. Rouse them to wrath. Exasperate. See, I believe that when, I, when I'm prone to doing this is when I'm tired and authority becomes more of a power struggle. You know when you're in the flesh because it becomes now a power struggle between you and your kid, and there should be no power struggle. should never allow it to degrade to that. And what it does, you just got to step out. You got to step away. We need to bring them up in discipline and instruction, teaching them and instructing them. It doesn't just happen. Has anyone in here got really fit by accident? Like you just woke up one day, you got double bicep, you're like, whoa. Super fit, lean, six-pack. It's just not the way it works. It takes effort. It takes focus. Why are you doing this? Some days you're going to feel like it. Some days you're not. This is what you're called to, first and foremost. Everyone in this room that has children, husbands and wives, even without children, you're called first, and you will be judged by God first on that home life. Even before all the gifts and anointings you think you have, that one thing will scuttle it if it's not addressed and not brought into submission. Everybody good? All right. 
In conclusion, which means Lewis and the band. See, when I look at this, and I feel quite overwhelmed with it, and I've meditated on it, particularly the role of headship and just the call and the magnitude of it, I feel like it's sort of like asking me to touch the ceiling. It's impossible. I can't even begin to even try. I won't even try and jump. Only the Holy Spirit. It has to be done in the Spirit. And I realize that submission starts with me on my knees before God. It starts with me on my knees before the Word. It means submitting to God in His ways. It means be led by the Spirit to take a secondary role and allow Him to lead me through the truth of God's Word. And when I come into alignment with Him and submit to His precepts, then there is an authority that's executable that one can walk in. There is wisdom. There's discernment. So when we come under His authority, we're better able to walk in authority and understanding. We're better able to navigate. We're better able to show up and realize our calling and realize the responsibility that has always been there but has been neglected and not really thought much of. But in God's eyes, these things are of paramount importance. And I would challenge you that the culture is the way it is now because the, the, the attack on marriage, the attack on children, and the abdication of parent authority over their children, particularly on your knees for your children. Why do you think they're going after the kids in the school system? Why do you think so much is going, give us your kids? Because that's the culture. That's the life we live. And it's our job to be salt in this perverse generation. It's our job to go kingdom way, the alien way, to receive that which is from above and to, by the power of the Spirit, through faith, we walk it out. If you feel this is too much for you, you're kind of getting it. You're starting to get it. If you're getting a little overwhelmed and you're thinking about the things where you've gone wrong, you're starting to get it. But remember, His grace is sufficient. Remember, He's always forgiving. He's always leading us on to life. He's always leading us in through truth. But it's just time today, I would just say, it's time to show up. It's time to show up. Maybe your kids are gone. And you had weirdness with your husband or weirdness with your wife. And the kids are messed up. You still have authority in the spiritual realm. Not manipulation, not power, but on your knees. My father was a very abusive man. He preached. People thought he was an incredible preacher. He'd come home and beat us up. He didn't provide for us. All six boys know the Lord. You know, I really believe primarily... And yes, I get the grace of God, etc. My mom would pray and pray and pray and pray. I'd hear her praying for my brother Julian while he was selling drugs on the streets of Whitehorse, Yukon. Never gave up. Always took position. It's your God-given right. It's an authority you have in the lives of your children. Not to exercise power and manipulation, but it's an authority. Remember, authority is about service. It's about seeing them blessed. It's about the wisdom that you bring. I encourage you because there's such a storm of hail and lightning and wind against this thing called marriage between husbands and wives and the children. 
And God is calling us to clarity and simplicity, not calculus, but mathematics. Very simple. Love your wife as Christ loves the church. Submit to your husband. Children, obey your parents. It's not meant to be a bunch of weirdness, but we've got to let God into our families. We've got to let him into our hearts. We've got to let him run the the show, as it were. We've got to go back to the book. Ignorance is not bliss. The greatest bestseller is the marriage. Well, just go to the Bible. I understand. Ask God. Get on your knees and ask him how to navigate the mess you feel you're in right now. Ask him for the wisdom. Will he not give it? Will he not give it if he's designed it? If we're submitted to him? If I don't hear him, what am I supposed to do? I must hear from him. Let's stand together. Thank you, Lord. We just like to do a song at the end to just allow the Holy Spirit to move on the words that have been spoken. If there's anything that is touching you, if there's anything that God is putting his finger on, if you feel condemned, it's not God. If you feel convicted, it is God. Conviction draws you close. Condemnation pushes you away. So Lord, we look to you and ask, we want families and marriages that are rock solid to stand fast in the time we're in. We submit to your words and your ways. We desire truth in the innermost part. We don't pick and choose that which we like. We take it all, even the offensive stuff. And we say, Lord, we don't understand it all, but we trust you. I don't have all the answers, but I trust you. We trust your ways. You so loved us. You gave your only son for us. I just pray, Father, just release in this place. We're just going to sing this song and just, Lord, we just ask that that you would lead each one here. Thank you, Lord.